0: The reading is from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 30. This can be found on page 1010. Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honour me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat their children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well last week in our uh, series in Mark we thought about Jesus as the divine king and today we're going to think about him and see here that he's also the universal king. Um, I'm Philip Hines, I'm one of the members of the church family here at uh, St. Mary's. But before we carry on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we use the words of, uh, as we pray, we use the words of that collet that uh, we prayed earlier. We pray that you'd help us to hear and to read, mark, and inwardly digest as we look at the scriptures together. Please teach us from these words in the Bible, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. be helpful if you keep Mark chapter 7 open. Um, we're going to look through these uh, these sections that we've just had read. Um, and I wonder how you were as uh, Yvonne was reading that to us. Um, some of us might have been quite shocked or offended. Um, it is quite shocking if we listen with our 21st century assumptions. Um, we'll come to that in a minute why it's shocking, but before we do that, let's just start and look at, the, um, look at the start of this part of Mark's account. We're going to just look a bit about this bit about tradition at the start. So right at the start, we find that the religious authorities, they've, they've come to check out Jesus again. They, they've done that a few times in Mark's gospel. Earlier on, there are a couple of occasions where the Pharisees, the religious leaders have come up from Jerusalem to Galilee to check out this, this teacher. Um, and when they come, they're actually horrified because they saw that some of Jesus's disciples didn't uh, wash their hands before they ate. Of course, we've been used to lots of hand washing, haven't we, in recent years? But this wasn't about hygiene, about physical hygiene. This was about ritual purity. If you were here at our recent uh, Wednesday equip, you'll know that we were reminded about the laws that are in the book of Old Testament, book of Leviticus, laws about. How things or people could be clean and unclean and they were clear laws that God had given to his Jewish people um, but lots have been added and just so for the benefit of his readers Mark adds this little bit you'll see that's in brackets there in chapters 3 and 4 just in case people didn't quite know what these uh, bits that have been added on he, he tells you there in verse 3 the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing Holding to the tradition of the elders, and when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And a little uh, note at the bottom there says that it might. Some versions also have and dining couches, and even wash the the couches that they sit on for meals. So they did all this stuff, Um, and of course, because by adding to all the Leviticus laws, they built this elaborate, this hugely elaborate practice to ensure that um, they could never be soiled or stained by contact with something unclean. Even, for example, just the shadow of a passing non-Jew would would have made them ceremonial unclean and they wanted to make sure that they were not clean. But Jesus points out that um, this is all outward show and not an inward reality. Look at verses 6. Second half of verse 6, Jesus quoting from Isaiah says, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. These people, they pretended to be good. They even thought they were good. But actually, they were ignoring or actively disobeying God's commands. And Jesus says, I'll give you an example. You know the fifth commandment? Remember what that says? Honour your father and mother well, they developed this uh, crafty way to get round it. Instead of having to support their parents in their old age, they had this system where they could dedicate their money to God. It, it still was theirs. They still kept it, but they dedicated it to God. Um, and so they could say, Oh, sorry, Dad and Mum, our money is Corbin. It's dedicated to God, so we can't help with your care costs. And this tradition, of course, stopped them from obeying God. And says, and Jesus says, well, that's just one example. I could list many others. And of course, we have traditions. Traditions are good. You probably have got family traditions, perhaps traditions around Christmas or birthdays or holidays. And, and traditions can be good in keeping a family or a group together. In wider society, we have traditions, don't we? And they often preserve cultures, and that can be good too. And religious traditions can be helpful as well. But it's very easy for us to elevate tradition to doctrine. Uh, Throughout throughout history, it's been easy, it's been too easy to say, if you don't stick to this tradition, then you can't be a real Christian. Now, there are huge ranges of traditions within the Christian church, and, and it's right that we should respect different traditions, but we do need to think very carefully whether traditions are contrary to God's word or get in the way of living for Jesus as we should. So it's good to ask ourselves, isn't it, are our traditions, the things that we have as traditions and the way in which we as individuals and as a community live, is that all outward show or are we showing in the way that we live and the things that we do our real inward reality? It's something for us to think about. But actually, it's not the really significant lesson that Jesus brought from this encounter. That was really like, that, that section in Mark is like the sort of little introduction. Because what Jesus now goes on to say is really bad news. It's really bad news. We could summarize these next verses, verses 14 to, to 23, as this, as from inside, not outside. I said it's it's bad news, but it's actually pretty offensive news. I I still remember very well one one morning, many, many, many years ago when I was a lower sixth form student, um, school assembly in those days uh, included a hymn, a prayer, and a Bible reading, would you believe it? That's what happened when I was a sixth form student. Um, And on that particular day that I'm remembering, on that morning, uh, this section, verses 14 to 23, was the, was the Bible reading. And I clearly remember afterwards, two, two of the upper sixth form students were absolutely, really angry. They were incensed, and they were talking loudly about, about this. How awful this was, this statement that the problem of bad behaviour was not due to outside factors. Just have a look at the reading again. So the context is Jesus, the the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus has seen and Mark has described that they're so obsessive about keeping clean so that they wouldn't be defiled. And Jesus wants to show how wrong they are. And so here, a little bit later, he calls the crowd together and he tells them this little parable. This is a little parable, just this, this one verse, verse 15. So look again at verse 15. He says nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what come out of a man, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. You know, there's nothing outside a person that going into him can defile him. But the things that come out from a person are what defile him. <clears throat> what, did, what did Jesus mean? Well, and then we read that a bit later when Jesus, when the disciples were alone with Jesus, they asked him, Jesus, can you explain that parable? And of course, Jesus says, can't you see? Are you so stupid? Eating food isn't going to defile you. It's not going to make you unclean. When you eat food, what does it do? It passes through the digestive system and the waste is excreted in the latrine and the toilet. Food doesn't go to the heart. These Pharisees think that by all this washing, that they'll be undefiled and pure. Oh no, says Jesus. It's not the stuff from outside that defiles you. It's what comes from within. That's the problem. And it's a pretty awful list, isn't it, that Jesus goes on to list. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For within... Out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. You can see, can't you, where my school colleagues were so angry. People mess up, don't they, because of their environment because of their circumstances, because of their social structure, because of their lack of education. If only we could sort out all these harmful external factors, then things will improve. And this idea that we can fix things, that's something that we're all prone to think. We we all see that there's a problem with human behavior, but there are lots of ways we think that we can fix it if we have the right politics, whatever whatever that might be, then eventually the problem could be fixed. Or it's easy to think that we can fix the problem by religious observance. If people do the right things, then they'll become better. Go on a pilgrimage, attend church regularly, say the right prayers, even read the Bible regularly. It's so easy to think that just by doing things, we could fix the problem. There are lots of good things that we could do. We could, right, that we should look after our health, that we should exercise. It's right to think about reversing climate change. They're all good things, but will do any of those things fix the problem of how we behave? Whatever whatever fix-it solution we go for, they all work on the basis that the problem is from the outside. And Jesus said, no, the problem isn't outside, it's inside, it's in your heart. Did you, did you notice who Jesus is talking to at this point? He's not, he's not talking to the hypocritical religious leaders, nor even to the ordinary people, to the crowd. He's talking to his own disciples, to the people who are close to him who are following him and he's teaching them a very important lesson. And it applies to them just as much as it does to the hypocritical religious leaders. They all suffer from sin sickness. In fact, we're all unwell. We're all seriously sin sick. The Protestant reformers recognize this and it's reflected in our Anglican liturgy. The general confession for morning prayer in the Book of Common Prayer starts like this um, Almighty and most merciful Father, we have wandered and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We follow too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We've offended against your holy laws. We've left undone those things we ought to have done, and we've done those things we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. The confession recognizes that we're sin sick, that there's no health in us. Probably not many of us have read the 39 articles of the Church of England, I think many years ago, we did study them in house groups, but they're historic statements of belief um, that explain what the Bible teaches. Article nine is a set of statements on original or birth sin. And it's got sort of several sections. But the first two sections say this. Original sin is not found merely in the following of Adam's example. It is rather to be seen in the fault and corruption which is found in the nature of every person who's naturally descended from Adam. We're all, we're all descendants of Adam, corrupted and predisposed to evil. Our sinful nature wants to do what is not good for us. Of course, that isn't saying that we can't do anything good. We're still made in the image of God. But sin's tentacles corrupt every part of every person. <coughs> it's not a very popular doctrine. We love to make excuses for why we do wrong. Even earlier, as Caroline was doing those things, you know, it's easy to blame someone else or find an excuse. We love to find excuses. And sadly, many church people don't really believe uh, this doctrine, even though if they hold office as a minister in the Church of England, they promise to uphold this truth with all the rest. But be honest, each of us knows that we do wrong. We do all sin. But what has Jesus just told his disciples in explaining this parable? And what's he saying to us? Are you a sinner? because you sin. No. Jesus taught me that I sin because I'm a sinner. You sin because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. You're a sinner first and therefore you sin. That's what this parable and Jesus' explanation teaches us. It's bad news, isn't it? When you get bad news about your health, then you need a doctor. Well, let's look at the final section where we do find some good news. And we'll see here how the outsider, or how an outsider becomes an insider. You'll see there that Jesus is in the region of Tyre and Sidon. It's a predominantly non-Jewish area. And though Jesus would have stayed at the house of of a fellow Jew, most of the people there in that area were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. And it's interesting that Mark here, as he's recording um, the details of yet another healing of demon possession, he's already done that twice in chapter one, and uh, as we saw a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago in chapter five. So why is he? And undoubtedly, Jesus did many healings of demon-possessed people. So why is he putting this here, this little episode in detail again? It's it's here not so much because it's a healing of a demon possession, but because of who this woman is. You know, as we see, as I've just said, Jesus is in a non-Jewish area. And to emphasize that this woman is not Jewish, Mark tells us here several times, he says she was a Gentile, she was a Greek, she was a Syrophoenician by birth. So she's not Jewish. If, he's, if Jesus's earlier statement about sin sickness was offensive to our 21st century ears so too is his description of this woman what does he call her he calls her a dog is jesus now being as bad as the pharisees the remarkable thing is that even if we're offended the woman she wasn't offended she knew that as a non-jew she was outside the community of god's people she wasn't entitled to the blessings that god's people enjoyed jesus does actually use the word for a small dog but he's still comparing her to a dog jesus at this stage his primary mission is still to the jews to the people of god of course in the old testament we do we have glimpses even as far back say as abraham of the worldwide mission that god had planned And there are little snapshots of God dealing with Gentiles, Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, or or Naaman, uh, Elisha and Naaman. But now here Mark is showing us that Gentiles, that outsiders, are being welcomed as well. This woman, she recognises that she had no right. She had no entitlement. But she calls on Jesus' mercy and grace to give her what she doesn't deserve. And Jesus gave it to her. He accepts her precisely because she knew that she had no right, because she had no entitlement. And her daughter was healed. The outsider becomes an insider. And did it just a bit make quite clear that Jesus wants to include outsiders? Mark goes on to report other encounters with non-Jewish people with Gentiles in the sections that we're going to look at next week. But just, and just look back to verse 19. There's another little, uh, little editorial bit where Mark puts something in brackets. So in, in verse 19 he says, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Mark's saying, yeah, at this point the need for this way, the old way of keeping God's Jewish people separate would no longer exist after the coming of Jesus. Jesus' kingship isn't just for the Jewish people, but it's for all the world. His kingship is universal. So what do we learn from this Syrophoenician woman? She knew that she wasn't entitled. She had no rights. How different that is to the way We think in the 21st century, we've got rights, we want our rights, we feel entitled. We should fight for them. But like this woman, we have to realize that we don't have any right to demand that God accepts us. We saw that earlier when Caroline was sharing in in the all age section about God's holiness, that we are completely not entitled to come near to God. We're all outsiders, we're like outsiders, we're all sin-sick. But by God's grace, we can become insiders. <clears throat> we can become accepted because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in our place and his resurrection to glory. Again, the Anglican Protestant reformers got it. Thomas Cranmer uh, wrote these words in the Prayer of Humble Access in the, community, in the communion service, basing it on this episode here in Mark 7. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. So shortly as we come to share in communion, we recognize that we have no rights, no entitlement, but through the Lord Jesus we're able to come to God. Tim Keller put it like this, on the cross Jesus would identify with us totally. On the cross the child of God was thrown away, cast from the table without a crumb, so that those of us who are not children of God could be adopted and brought in. Put another way, the child, Jesus, had to become a dog so that we could become sons and daughters at the table. Isn't that wonderful? How wonderful that is. Well, three final things just for us to take home from these verses. Firstly... Their heart is far from me. That was Jesus' description of the Pharisees and the scribes. And if you're a Christian, you probably have got family or friends of whom you would say the same. Their heart is far from God. The problem that they, like all of us, have is a sin sick heart, which needs the doctor. But did you see how this Syrophoenician woman was pleading with Jesus? on behalf of someone else. She wasn't pleading for herself, she was pleading for someone else, pleading for her daughter. And in fact, in Matthew's account of this story, we see that she was very, very persistent. Well, be like her. Keep asking the great physician to heal your family member or friend, to change their sick heart. Of course, there's not a guarantee that he will, but keep pleading, don't give up. And then secondly, when we turn to Christ, he welcomes us. God forgives us. He sees us as if we'd never sinned. We're still infected, though, with sin sickness, but we're getting better. We don't get a clean bill of health until heaven. Another section of that article, nine of the 39 articles, recognises this biblical truth, and it says, this infection within man's nature persists even within those who are regenerate in other words when we become christians we're still sin sick we are getting better but we're not perfect and we know that don't we we know that if we're honest if we're a christian we know in our own experience that we are far from perfect and it is still a struggle it's a battle we long not to keep doing the things that we do or thinking the things that we think. It's a battle, a battle to fight against temptation. Conscious of this, it was wonderful a few weeks ago to sing some words which really spoke to me. The daily struggle continues, but one day, one day I will no longer sin. These are the words we were singing. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus, for he has said, that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. How wonderful that will be, won't it, when our heart sickness is finally cured, and the struggle that we all face now is over. And then thirdly, maybe you don't call yourself a Christian, or perhaps you're not sure that God will welcome you. You're not a Christian, but you you think, well, I'm not sure that he'll welcome me. If you feel an outsider, remember we've seen that Jesus welcomes everyone to come and to be an insider. So as we finish, let me quote again from Tim Keller. This is Tim Keller. Because Jesus identified with us, we can approach him. The son became a dog so that we dogs could be brought to the table. He became mute so that our tongues can be loose to call him king. Don't be too isolated to think that you're beyond healing. Don't be too proud to accept what the gospel says about your unworthiness. Don't be too despondent to accept what the gospel says about how loved you are. Amen.